to come in, lap after lap after lap, and what does he do? He ignores them. A committee meeting about it, stick it on and send him out. Just get it through the bus stop chicane, George, try and straight line it, get to the line and we'll see what happens. Paris tries to cut off Hamilton, oh, oh, no. and it goes straight on. This is kind of poorly, this is the worst start for a Grand Prix that I have ever seen in the whole of my life. What? gentlemen boys and girls gather around this is unqualified Gerald after many steady months of seemingly non-existent intra-team driver controversy other than Alpine the dam seems to have finally broken and as both championships are more settled than ever before in the season we seem to have got more action than ever what the hell Happened in Brazil. (laughs) It was a spicy one. And I'd say I am excited for it because it means we no longer have to make mountains out of molehills for our show prep. (laughs) We don't have to worry about fucking rookie drivers and silly season and social media. We can just focus on all the hotness coming off the track because it was a spicy one. Before we dive in, you know, Mexico was last week. And I have to say, I didn't realize how much I would miss the mariachi version of the F1 theme after last week, but it it felt like something was missing. It almost, I almost wish they did it like every weekend, like a local flavor. Like we could have like the call to prayer version on this, on the upcoming race. I fully agree with you. I also feel like I need to confess the fact that if you go back and listen to our Mexico episode, both of us were very confident that the race was the was in two days <laughs> after the podcast. I, neither one of us, I don't know if you realize that, neither one of us knew that the race was another week away. So we'll just put that aside. <laughs> as much as I dwell, you should know, I spent the entire week reflecting on the fact that I said, enjoy watching practice tomorrow like some idiot. So Everybody's <laughs> listening like, you guys don't even have a calendar. <laughs> yeah, but agree, agreed, agreed that I, it's nice to have a weekend where we haven't had to scrape the bottom of the barrel at all. Uh, the 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 storylines are screaming in our face, so I'm super excited to get into it. I was I was blaming my like nearly hallucinogenic sickness uh, on on the fault that I I mixed up my weeks, but you know what? Again, people can't, shouldn't expect anything more. Like we actually know when the races are going to happen. Yeah, it's not like you were standing in line trying to order at the Krusty Krab, just like totally under, underwater. It was pretty rough, rough going. So I'm glad to see you found your zinc, your zinc, your zinc packets. Maybe snorted a couple lines. You're you're in fighting shape now. I got my mic calibrated correctly. I got some sound dampening going on. We're we're feeling it this weekend, which is good because we had uh, an amazing weekend end to end sprint format aside, but we had Mercedes. Return to form with the one-two. Who would have seen that coming? Ferrari dodges some some qualifying blunders to still finish three-four. Meanwhile, Alonso had an amazing recovery race after some teammate drama in the sprint to finish fifth. Red Bull surprisingly struggling with a genuine lack of pace all weekend long, coming in at six and seven. And then Ocon putting another dagger in McLaren, finishing eighth. Meanwhile, both of their cars DNF this weekend, and Botas ninth picks up one point um, on Alpha with Vettel finishing or Stroll finishing tenth. So with 
So with that, I mean, we got to really start at the top sprint format weekend. You got qualifying sprint race. We got to take it step by step here, especially given the intrigue that happened in qualifying one of the few occasions where you have a, a shock pole position. But let's start at Q1, started on some inters. There was some early rain. Um, Botas making the wrong call, going to inters when everyone else was going to slick. But um, Ferrari bumbling Leclerc's tire change on inters, maybe on inters again to used softs, but it should have been new softs. I mean, do you, they were... Ref- they were a return to form as well after a couple of quiet weekends of, you know, relative smoothness. I, first off, I love when weather introduces the variable of driver discretion on tire strategy. I just, it, it's a, it's a very interesting element, but dude, the picture that summarizes the entire weekend for our, for Ferrari was the picture of everybody stacked up in the pit lane, ready to go back out in Q1 and literally Everyone is on slicks except Leclerc. <laughs> like he's the only guy. It's like one of those. One of these things is not like the other. <laughs> yeah, going out into Q three, right? So Q one, they or fuck Q3, up. Sorry, yeah, yeah they, Q one, they fuck up his switch to um, to slicks to begin with. He's like the, the that was the best team radio was like just him on the the radio. Like guys, aren't we aren't we going to new new softs? And they're like, oh, oh yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do that. Then Q2 was kind of uneventful. Magnuson snuck in uh, with a final improved lap, bumping out Albon. But then, yeah, Q3, everybody else is sitting there on slicks. Of course, Leclerc's the only one on inters, and it's fucking beautiful. Beautiful. The the montage of his team radio throughout qualifying is just absolutely classic. Like, it's everything we've been saying all year. It's the fact that there is... Nobody on the Ferrari side of the garage that is empowered and has like the ba- a backbone to make any calls. I don't think it's because they don't have data. I'm I'm sure it's not because there's not enough people around that team that understand racing. I genuinely think it's the fact that they don't have like clear internal roles and responsibilities and and just de- delegated decision making to the point where somebody feels like they can make that call. They are they are the only team that screws the shit up, man. Like. By a mile. Like, the bottom feeders on the grid are getting this shit right. Like, it is just them. <laughs> and it is consistent. I love how Leclerc asked, like, with full knowledge of the fact that he was the only one on Inters. He was yes. like, I- I'm the only one on Inters, aren't I? Yeah. <laughs> it was the It's like he already knew the answer. He yeah. was like, I know exactly what has happened. Like, it yeah. is... You can just hear the shame in his voice. He... If I'm him at this point, I'm basically making these decisions on my own from this point going forward. I don't care if I'm wrong. I've got a better shot at being right, guessing from the cockpit of my car, than the entire pit wall, which is truly sad. But Well, before we get to how that finished out for Ferrari, well, for Ferrari, that basically ended with Leclerc in, in 10th. Yeah, and thank it God ruined it was his a- entire weekend. It ruined his entire weekend. Yeah, well. And- Up until the last 10 laps of the race. Exactly. But the bigger news, because let's be honest, uh, Ferrari failure and and poor strategy, poor execution is par for the course. The real shock was this weekend, Magnuson, Q3, first man out on track. And credit to him, he put up a lap that nobody else on their first run was able to top. Then immediately after that, Russell going into turn one, 
overcommits, goes long, and then has a bit of a curious spin while he's trying to recover it on the on the sort of the warning track, um, but ultimately puts uh, puts Magnuson in pole position, Verstappen second, Russell third for the sprint race with Hamilton, Perez, and Leclerc down at the bottom. Uh, let's start with Magnuson. What was your take on? on his success of the weekend and, and getting pole position in his year back when after having a year off. So I'm really glad you, 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 you said something super important there, which was there, there was a lot of merit in what he did. Um, it wasn't just, I mean, obviously there was the timing of when the weather rolled in and the, the crash from Russell. And so he obviously had a ton of good fortune and on pure merit alone, that car is never going to be on pole. But he he did put in a lap that, you know, at that point in time, eight other cars, seven other cars had a chance to beat, and they didn't. So credit to him. Uh, I think he deserves a lot of credit for that. And then also, we've talked about this two weeks ago. Um, this has not been a season with a lot of unpredictable winners from a qualifying standpoint or from a race standpoint. And so I think we were hungry for just, like, a surprise guy. And this is, like, the definition of a surprise guy on pole. Um, the contrast of him on pole and Schumacher in 20th, I would love to know stat line wise, well, the last time that has happened and it not been because of a DNF. And, um, and then I think the third thing is, um, the third thing is the celebration in the garage. Like how often do we see that where, you know, when Magnuson got out of his car and he kind of did the fist bump, but he was like in the garage. And so like his mechanics were kind of like all swarmed around him when they celebrated, like you never see that because every time a guy gets out of a car, he's always in park Ferme. but because the celebration occurred before the session was technically over and nobody went back out, he happened to be in his garage, which I thought was actually really cool. Like getting to see the initial reaction with all of his mechanics, like mobbing him. I thought that was so freaking cool, man. I loved it. I loved every second of it. Do you think the, the, it was overblown at all? Because the, the one thing that I noticed, agreed, agree with everything. I also like the celebration, just seeing people who aren't expecting it. Right. Cause I think that's a lot of it when you're the top three teams. Like if you get a qualifying, like, all right, you did your job well. Right. But it was like hindsight where they were like, wow, he, he, he did amazing in practice and, and early in qualifying. And like, frankly, he really didn't like, they didn't look totally like they were there in practice in qualifying, sure, him and, and Schumacher put up early times, but that, again, that's because they were first on track and track development. Everybody else put up faster time. So it was like, at no point did he have a, an enduring time. And like we said, he barely made Q2. And so it's, or, or he barely, yeah. And so it, it just seemed overhyped that, oh, he, he it was a for sure, like, no, he really delivered on the one lap when nobody else could. And I think there's multiple instances this weekend where you see the importance of not ruining your tires in practice. You have one lap to deliver in qualifying. You need to get it right. And he did. So yeah, he 100% deserves the credit for delivering on what turned out to be his one lap in Q3. So credit to him. All right. Well, let's turn to Mr. Russell, though. So I think we can agree Magnuson, well-deserved, did what he needed to do with the opportunity that he had. Russell, however, P3, when going for another hot lap, spun out, 
or not spun out, went long into the gravel. And then in trying to save it, spun out. What was your take on Russell's attempt to save the car? And then again, the controversy of should a driver who causes a red or even a yellow flag in qualifying get to keep their fastest lap? knowing that it could have disadvantaged other drivers who now don't have a chance to put up a similar lap. I'll answer that, but I want to clarify something with you first. You're not insinuating that Russell crashed on purpose, are you? I might be, yeah. I know you have no respect for the man, but you're not seriously insinuating that he did that on purpose. The So, one, I think he went into the gravel, so be it, fine. I think given that corner, totally fair. The thing that surprised me the most and why I don't totally doubt it is, one, look at the context of the race. He is in position to get fourth in the Drivers' Championship, ahead of Hamilton, ahead of Signs, both of whom are at the moment are behind him in qualifying. And as he was approaching the the concrete at the end or the asphalt at the end of the, the gravel. I was just surprised to see him hit the throttle so hard to the point that he spins around almost like 180. because I mean, I've watched enough Hamilton highlights of him ending up in the gravel and maintaining composure, not overly applying the throttle. Like Russell could have just carried momentum onto the asphalt and saved the and save the car but instead he like overreacted hit the throttle spun around and then beached the car which was very uncharacteristic and that's what caused more doubts in my mind than him ending up in the gravel in the first place am i so am i is that unfair did, am i wrong did, did did he but are you do you think he did it on purpose as a result I mean, of that? Or apparently it, it wouldn't be totally unprecedented this season. So, I mean, for the man to solidify a position potentially in front of Hamilton, yeah, might be worth the gamble. I mean, the guy was literally asking the stewards to push him out of the gravel. Like, as they were connecting the chain to the halo to try and lift I mean, it you gotta so com- I mean, you got to commit to the bit, though. You oh, know? okay. You got to really, you got to <laughs> okay. sell it. I... I think it is a long. I'm not. I don't disagree with anything he said about him. The recovery was klutzy. There were so many better paths he could have taken to get back on the track, and a lot of other drivers would have probably no problem gotten back on. Would not have been a red flag. It was a klutzy moment, no doubt about it. Um, I, I think to your original question, I think there should be a rule if you red flag a qualifying session, and maybe maybe they could just limit it to Q3. If you red flag Q3, you get a five place grid penalty. I think that's a perfectly fair rule. Um, and it, it's punitive enough, you know, to not absolutely sink a guy's race day, but to make it so that if you materially impact another driver's chance of putting in a single lap time through no fault of their own, then you get penalized for it. And that's a situation where, yeah, I think absolutely he didn't deserve to be where he was on the grid because of what he did to the rest of the session. I don't think that Perez and Monaco, I know we're going to talk about that later, deserve to be where he was. You could say the same about Charles Leclerc in previous qualifying. It's like, it just seems like a bit of a slam dunk rule that they should implement in the off season. Um, because yeah, you, you, the current structure of the rules opens itself up to controversy and conspiracy As ridiculous as I think that take is in situations like what we saw on Saturday. You're not wrong in, I think you're wrong in poking a specific hole in this weekend, but you're not wrong in the sense that there could be a hole there generally. (laughs) The incentives could be misaligned for a driver to misbehave 
and do something intentionally, and I think it's easy to fix. I mean, yeah, the fact that there's multiple instances in a single season in which you could question whether or not people are manipulating the situation for their own advantage means that there's a loophole that needs to be filled. And and honestly, I don't even think the five place is enough because that would have just put Russell Russell at, what, eighth? Like, I, I do think it should be deletion of your fastest time or all the times or you end at the back of that. Like, I, I think it needs to not necessarily be a grid place, but some sort of like deletion. But I, again, either way, whether it's five places or the bottom of that qualifying order or your fastest lap preceding that moment, like, I, I think I, any of those will be better than leaving it totally open-ended. You're right. Um, yeah, you're right. And and look, crashing on purpose to gain in F1 is not unprecedented, historically. The whole crash gate thing with Alonzo, I don't remember who his teammate was at the time. Like, the stuff has happened, so it's not impossible. So, you're not as crazy as you look, is what I'm saying. And you look pretty, you look pretty fucking <laughs> pretty crazy. Pretty fucking crazy. <laughs> <laughs> um... All right, so that was the qualifying, right? We had Magnuson on pole. We had Russell red flagged. Um, let's move, and then of course Ferrari just uh, total shit show. Let's move on to the sprint. So Magnuson started first. Ultimately, what finished seventh, I believe. Um, you had Alpine with some serious self-inflicted damage. It looked like they were going to secure their their place ahead of McLaren for the weekend, and then Alonso in trying to pass Ocon. They came together. Basically, Alonso had to stop for, uh, had damage to his car. Ocon had damage to his car and basically ruined both of their spurt races and sent them back to the back of the grid. Meanwhile, you had Stroll nearly pushing Vettel off track and getting a penalty as well. And you had Schumacher climbing seven places in the sprint. So interestingly, while Magnussen is falling, you have Schumacher rising and Mercedes capitalize. Uh, ultimately finishing 1-3 with being split by signs and therefore starting the race 1-2, given an engine penalty for for signs. Um, Given the fact that so much action happened in the sprint race, only to be basically mitigated in the actual race or taking away action from the race itself, can we agree that this weekend is exactly why sprint races suck? No. No? Why? Uh, Did you not enjoy having something that engaging to watch on Saturday? Like, you, this is exactly the thesis of Formula One, that if you take a sprint race, insert it onto the Saturday schedule, you are going to have really compelling entertainment product Friday, Saturday, and Sunday. And that's exactly what they got to. I watched every second. Every single part of that weekend had a different compelling reason for you to tune in. I think it's... Was I the, think it's the exact did opposite you think the of what race, you're it, Did you think this race was that exciting? Was this race that intriguing? Was there that much drama in this race? Or was it like pretty standard, people generally finished where you thought of minus a couple of collisions that happened? It was more boring. It was, I, I see your point in that the sprint made the race more boring than it could have been. But... I still got a race that I was entertained by, and I got an additional sprint race that had a lot of the action that I think you would be, you're saying you wanted in the actual Grand Prix. And so I guess I'm saying it's not the worst thing in the world to have it spread across an entire weekend in that way. I still, I guess what I'm saying is 
I still feel like I got the total entertainment value from the weekend that I wanted just from different portions of the weekend. I don't Yeah, the only difference is I had to thing. genuinely tune in on Friday to watch qualifying and Saturday to see the sprint race and then Sunday was the actual Grand Prix which was muted as a result of all of the action in the sprint race. Then but look at somebody like Magnussen. All right, he he earns a, a pole position only to end up starting in the race what, 7th and then have his race ruined because he starts in the midfield next to a, a Ricardo and ends up getting crashed out, which probably doesn't happen if he's on pole. And so you deprive the team of that action. You deprive the race of the action of having Leclerc and Hamilton and Perez having to battle forward. And so I think it just, yeah, it totally mutes the the actual action in the Grand Prix. And when people like often use, oh, how many overtakes happen in a given race as like a measure of excitement, sprint races totally skew those statistics because a vast majority of those overtakes are are hap- happen in the sprint and not the race and and so i think it definitely like dulls races especially when you have wet qualifyings that lead to like mixed up grids i thought the initial worry about sprint races was that there wasn't going to be a lot of overtaking because everybody's in the same tire strategy and a bunch of drs trains are just going to get created which didn't happen at all i mean you you almost had more sprint race overtaking per minute than you did in the actual race. No, I I mean, maybe that's been some other's concerns. That's never been mine. Mine has always been depriving the, the Grand Prix itself of the excitement and the integrity and the statistics associated and the opportunity that comes with a singular race by which your success in qualifying and your strategy and execution in the race leads to your success. It puts in this total middle variable which then leads the races to be pretty bland. And so like Magnuson was deprived of potentially points on the weekend because of that, which matters in terms of his outcome, you know, Haas's outcome in the constructors championship. Think about if what happened to Alpine didn't happen in the sprint, but happened in the race, they would have been fucked. And now they're, Constructors championship is neck and neck going into the final race of the year. If not McLaren pulling ahead. I mean, unlikely because they would have relied solely on Norris's points, but you get my point. Uh, yeah, I think it's a zero sum. It can cut both ways in either the sprint or the race. Like, I, I, I think it's hard to base it on that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I mean, look, I'm not sitting here proposing that sprint races are the standard format, but I do think they can play a role for certain tracks. I don't know if they're better suited for tracks where the overtaking is more difficult or where the overtaking is less difficult. But I do think that they can play a role. And I think that it's hard to deny the fact that they do expand the interest across the weekend. And if you're F1 and your revenue is a key metric for success here, it's I I think they're going to be hard to deny, at least having some portion of the calendar moving forward. Look, if and money like, is your driving motivator, then yes, Graham. If of you're course a, it is. If you're a corporate it, sellout, okay. but as a true I fan guess, of the sport... I oh, protest no, the sprint. And frankly, no, I think I'm it a- deprives I think it deprives lower teams of the opportunity to fully capitalize on on outlying success in qualifying because now you have another 20 some laps that you have to deliver on or hold off your faster opponents despite the fact that you beat them in qualifying, which just is outside of the bounds of reality. 
I could equally argue you have another 20 laps of potential chaos that prevent that from happening and shuffle it in the other direction. I guess my point is, like, I think it can cut both ways. But I think so, Max's major criticism was you see far less chaos in sprint races than you do in actual races because people aren't legitimately going for it. I mean, shit, this weekend, all the chaos That's not you saw what happened was, this weekend. I mean, yeah, because you saw self-inflicted team ignorance between Alpine and, and Aston Martin. That's what but- I want. That's what I want. Because sprint races are a pressure cooker and they make guys have to make faster decisions because they know they don't have as much time to make up for mistakes and they do stupid shit. I love that, man. Well, I regardless of how we feel, I think there's been a clear mandate to at least everyone on the F1 broadcast specifically. It's here to stay. Um, like, to talk nice about it. To talk nice about sprints. I mean, first off, they call it a race and a Grand Prix. They constantly remind you about the extended and constant drama throughout the entirety of the weekend, and never once do they question or doubt the merits of the sprint format. So the talking points are are clear, at least from the top down in that regard. They know who butters their bread. I know you're basing it. I look, you're you're having the you're having the bleeding heart argument, and I respect you for that. I appreciate that about you. It's an inevitability. Get on the train or get run over. It's my advice. It's bullshit. That's my advice. <laughs> next topic. <laughs> um, well, the next topic is let's talk about Alpine in the oh, sprint yes. race itself. Alonzo going for a pass on Ocon, uh, sort of reminiscent of his pass on Stroll, uh, attempts to pass Ocon. Some might say rather late. Ocon moves to the left. Uh, Alonzo can't get back to the right quick enough. Makes contact with his rear tire. Alonzo loses a front wing. Uh, Ocon loses a side pod. Both, I believe, are able to continue, but far much further, or like I guess Alonzo has to jump all the way down in order to get a new front wing. And Ocon um, just slowly slides back with, with side pod and, and aerodynamic damage. What was your take on that contact? Who was at fault? And what did you make of Alonzo's um, sort of very detailed reaction and and detailing sort of Ocon's past offenses in his mind uh, to to Spanish media? Before we go there, was it wasn't it qualifying or was it the sprint race when Ocon parked his car at the end in the pit lane and the brake the car literally caught on fire? Which which session was that? Do you remember that? So that was a sprint, I believe, right? That was a sprint. Yeah. I love how that was like an omen for how the rest of the weekend was going to go. It's like the most, it's like the oh, the perfect team for that to happen to is like every car is parked and sitting there peacefully and one car is on fucking fire. <laughs> yeah. So first they make damn it, have it, like impact with one another. Then his car lights on fire in the, at the end of the sprint. So yeah, I mean, it was as bad as, as you could have possibly imagined a, a start to a weekend, at least for, for Alpine. But what did you make of the, the, the issues? What I need is for this driver dynamic. We only have one more race to, to accomplish this, and I'm confident Alonzo can can bring it home for us. I need this to, to to transpire into a physical fist fight. That's the last thing I need from these guys. And I feel like they're headed there, and I feel like Alonzo would beat the shit out of Ocon, and I really want that for the sport. Otherwise, they're doing exactly what I thought they would do. I can't stand Ocon. I think that he... Sure, Alonzo's rough around the edges, that he, there was a late move. He probably was following too closely. But overall, I think Alon, uh, Ocon's a bitch and he has it coming. I don't blame Alonzo for it. 
And I, I hope he I hope he goes for the throat next weekend. I really do. So you admit that Alonzo was at fault for the contact. I admit that Alonzo was more at fault for that contact, but then what happened in the race thereafter when they were trying to give team orders and Ocon was being all cagey about it and he wouldn't like give in. Um I think he's holding on to this irrational belief that he's done something to earn being a team leader and to being given preferential treatment. And I just don't think that's the case at all. Um, I also think, hold on to this moment. And in 12 months, you'll realize that somehow the Gasly Ocon dynamic has found a way to be worse. And I can't wait for that. <laughs> You're predicting a worse team dynamic than, than what they have today. Oh, this is just the appetizer, buddy. We're just, <laughs> we're just, we're just wetting our whistle because between. Well, think about it. Between, I think that twenty twenty two has twenty twenty three has a chance to have some very interesting intra team dynamics because we're going to talk about Checo Max. I'm not sure they're ever going to fully recover from that shit. And then you got Alonzo Stroll. I mean, <laughs> like that is going to be oil and water. And then Gasly Ocon. I, I mean. We, we could have some serious inter-team fireworks, and I, I'm, I'm here for it. Well, going back to the the Alonzo and Ocon conflict, I mean, you, you talked about after the fact, Alonzo is like relitigating all of these other past incidents, bringing up all these times that he feels slighted by by Ocon. And it's like, one, do you, do you think that's legit? Or is like Alonzo just being petty at this point and he just constantly puts blame on somebody else? And two, does he not realize who his teammate is next year in Lance Stroll and the fact that he's going to have an even worse offender in teammate conflict? I don't fault him for just being sick and tired of being sick and tired. You know, like he's sick and tired of his team failing him. He's sick and tired of his engine failing him. He's sick and tired of his teammate failing him. He's almost at the end of his rope. If there's one guy in the grid I don't fault for bitching, it's him. Alonzo has more of a right to bitch about his circumstances and his teammate than any other driver in the grid. So I I, I really have a hard time faulting him for that. Um, sure. Is he being a little chippy? Yeah. But, like, it's kind of his personality and he's got some reasons to. Well, I suspect we're going to find some inconsistencies in your perspective between the two drivers who seem to be in competition for the biggest asshole of the weekend. Uh, but we'll dig into that more in a moment. It's different. <laughs> it's, oh, it's different. It's different. It's very different. Oh, all right. Well, let's let's see how different it really is. Let's go on to the race itself. So uh, Red Bull leading in constructors. So we're going to start with them. This weekend, they finished sixth and seventh in the Grand Prix, the real Grand Prix. Uh, all weekend, they were dealing with issues of understeering and high degradation. And Verstappen, the big news was Verstappen making contact with Hamilton on the restart. Uh, at, well, the restart caused by Ricardo making contact with Magnussen and sent him in for a new wing, more or less ruined his race. Meanwhile, uh, ultimately, Climbed back to pass Perez, who ended the race on mediums while basically everyone else ended on softs. Perez asked Verstappen or the team to give uh, the place to him so he could get some points in his battle with Leclerc in the Drivers' Championship. Verstappen declined, and now Perez is tied for second with Leclerc going into the final race of the season. Let's start off with the inter-team drama for stopping, not giving position to Perez. Was that the right call? Why or why not? What do you make of the situation? 
<sighs> you can fuck with the FIA. You can fuck with the race stewards. You can fuck with Horner. You can fuck with his wife. But you do not fuck with Checo. I'm done, Gerald. I'm off the train. I am 100% Team Red Bull. Always have been through and through. I would like to say, to state for the historical record, I have been a Checo fan predominantly throughout the majority of his tenure on Red Bull. I think Max severely crossed the line. And we've talked a lot about signs of immaturity. It's been well known, his aggression. We've talked about it at nauseum on this podcast. He went too far, way too far. And really, for no, if to, to gain nothing for himself personally, stabbed a teammate in the back who has literally done nothing but play team ball for his entire tenure on that team. And I think in no way, shape, or form did Checo deserve that. It may lead to zero materiality in terms of the in-driver standings, but the optics of that, if I'm Checo, I I would never, I would never, rec- I, would, I would have lost respect for Max and it would be very difficult to ever recover. I myself personally... I'm going to continue cheering for Red Bull, and I will ride hard for Checo. I appreciate Max for what he adds to the sport and the additional aggression and entertaining as a driver. I love that he does these bang-bang moves with Lewis, like exactly what happened in the race on Sunday that lead to controversy. I love all of that that he adds to the sport. I think he's a deeply immature person and possibly paranoid, and I I don't have respect for him off the track. Uh, I'm out. I'm officially selling my stock. I'm sorry. Wow. This was a a big, a big pivot. Uh, so Verstappen ultimately saying, we've talked about this before. I gave you my reasons. Don't ask me again. What do you think his reasons were? And do you not think that they could have been legitimate enough? The only thing that I can gather is the thing that they said on the broadcast. Uh, I haven't found any other theories that hold any water, but that's that Max believes the Checo crashed intentionally in qualifying in Monaco because he was on provisional pole and he had it locked up and he crashed intentionally and that it ruined it for Max, which is A, incredibly paranoid, and B, even if he did, why the fuck does it matter? You won Monaco the previous year. You've already won the Drivers' Championship. Like, the body of work for Checo on that team doesn't shouldn't lead you to believe that that would happen at all. And I just think he's incredibly paranoid in the face of explicit team orders. Like, explicit. I mean, it's not like Red Bull pulled a fast one on him in the last lap and we're like, oh, hey, man, last-minute change of plans. Like, please yield the position to Checo. Like, they were very clear. From when he took that position from him, granted he was on better tires, but Checo, like, he he got the wrong side of that pit window with the safety car towards the end. He was struggling out on mediums to no fault of his own. He had earned his position in that race, had really not put that much of a foot wrong, and he just wasn't on the pace of the front cars. But, like, they made it so clear to him, dude. Why? And he had nothing to gain. And he literally just spit in Checo's face in the most abhorrent way possible, and then tried to defend himself on team radio. 
I was absolutely furious, and I'm not going to defend him. Like, I will defend his driving style. I will defend his aggression. But that is the type of shit that I will absolutely, I'm not here to defend that. I'm out. I'm uninterested in being a part of that. It is like, and I get he's young, and he may mellow out, and some people had similar criticisms of Lewis when he was young in his career. But the contrast of how much class Lewis has I'm even going to, you're going to hate this, but the class that George Russell has as a young driver relative to that shit is really concerning. It's really concerning. And we've, we've kind of skated by as Red Bull fans, Gerald, and we've really been like, you know, the driver dynamic, Max a tough personality, Checo was playing, he's a high character guy, he's playing the team player role until you were kind of skirting by and this shit hadn't happened yet. You didn't have a Max Ricardo moment. And you know what? Max and Ricardo had a great relationship until they had that wreck in Baku, and then the sh- they never recovered. And I genuinely think we're at risk of a similar thing happening here. And it is 100 fucking percent Max's fault and no one else. And there's no good reason for it. Please defend your, Please defend him, though. I'm... I'm interested to hear your your defense. No good reason. The prosecution rests. No good reason, huh? Uh, well, first off, Graham, I I have to say I'm a little disappointed, but I'm not surprised. Uh, I never really think you thought you could hang as a as a Verstappen fan. You know, you're just oh you're too weak. You couldn't handle the heat. You couldn't. So handle, this is about me now. You couldn't. So you're gonna make this about me. Okay. Okay. You couldn't handle the scrutiny when things get hot. You had to get out the kitchen. I see how it is, <laughs> but I'm going to stand in and I'm going to take the arrows because I can, I can handle the heat. Uh, <laughs> first off, his justification might have to do with the Monaco situation. Come back to that in a moment. Secondly, if his position just had to be on, I don't play this bullshit. You beat me on the track. Honestly, I wish... Every team did that more. Fine. If teams want to manipulate their position and get points, fine. So be it. But if Checo wins second because Max hands him a couple of points here and there, maybe lets him win Monaco just so he can wave to his fans, what's the integrity in that? I want pure, unadulterated, meritocratic racing. I want the best man to come out on top. No team orders. No handouts. You either win on track, you either beat Leclerc on merit, or you don't, and you didn't deserve it. So one, that's one rationale. Two, if you had that as a fundamental principle, imagine how it looks to him, the situation that may or may not have happened in Monaco, in which Perez crashes on the last lap to secure pole position, ultimately win the race, stick Max in fourth place at the start behind the Ferraris. Basically, when both of them are trailing Leclerc and Verstappen is behind Perez in the championship. So Perez had every reason to sacrifice that last quality lap. And yeah, if Max is a little bitter about that as a purist who wants to win purely on merit, I can understand that. Oh, Oh, now, Gerald! Look, it wasn't the fr- it wasn't the only situation that 
Uh, Perez got up to some funny business during that weekend. So I know you want to put Perez on this pedestal as being this sort of expand on that. Wait, expand on that. Well, I think there was some photos of, you know, him at a club after the fact, getting a little handsy. Get the fuck out of here. I think Perez, I think Perez (laughs) might've been. Look, I think Perez might have been taking more than one liberty that weekend. And while you might like and while you might choose to idolize him as this sort of as this sort of messianic figure, he might not Dude. he might be far from perfect. And so I'm not gonna just throw Verstappen out to jump on the bandwagon with Perez, you- who hey, let me finish here, who effectively fulfilled his role as a clear number two, played defense. Let Max buy, letting a driver buy and in and and encumbering your opponent is not the same as letting your opponent pass you on track for points. Those things are not the same. Okay, you could have made your first point and then the point you just made, and that'd have been fine. But you took it a step further in a very Max Verstappen way and decided to turn this into a char- an unnecessary character assassination with no basis of fact because the guy got like, a little bit drunk after he won Monaco. Shit, you'd have probably drowned in the fucking harbor. You'd have been so incapacitated and you've been in a similar situation. Also, you're a massive lightweight. Let's put that aside. <laughs> But I'm not going to sit here and have you character assassinate Checo for absolutely no reason. I think that the the argument about it being a purely meritocratic race has some validity. And I do think that that is genuinely how Max is wired. But that is not the expectation that he has when the roles are reversed and he needs something from his teammate. So he's a little hypocritical in his view. And I don't disagree. Switching places in the outcome of a race is different than holding up an opponent, maybe. I don't know. I think Checo went pretty fucking far out of his way to hold up Lewis just for Max's benefit when he had nothing to gain from it. So I'm not sure I'm like quite there with you on that one. But I agree, switching places in the end of race is a little bit different. But also, Gerald, the championship is over! It'd be one thing if there were podium positions at stake and there were trophies on the line and Max was going for a record number of race wins or something like that. They were fighting for fucking sixth and seventh. What difference does it make? It doesn't make any difference. Like there's like it literally. It, are you saying that it's purely justifiable for Max's pride alone? Is that really like the singular foundation of your argument? So that he can hold to this like bullshit philosophical belief he has about winning on the track and nothing else matters? It's principle, like, Graham. If a there's man, no fuck if a principle. Man, there's more. There's, there's character. There's fucking loyalty. This is a team sport in a lot of ways, and I think if you throw that shit out, you throw out a lot of things that are fucking great about this sport, and I'm not here for it. If a man sacrifices his principles, what does he have? Oh, left? my God. I, I'm, I'm not. You don't want to take up the position of Max Verstappen as the flag bearer of principles on the F1 grid. That is an indefensible position that you will not be able to, I'm not even going to go there. Not even going to go there. Again, I, I'm not trying to demonize the guy. I, I, I really like, I, I appreciate him. I, I value what he brings to the sport. I think he's an exceptionally entertaining person to watch. But he has got to cut this shit out, man. Because if, if he doesn't, he's going to end up with no friends especially in a season where Red Bull is not dominating and now his expectations are here and then he's going to get 
surpassed, he doesn't win a driver's championship, then what? what is he going to do then? Is he just going to scorch earth the entire fucking garage? And Christian Horner? Like, it's, it's not a tenable position to be in. Like, oh, it's, it's just, it'd be one thing if he had had something to gain. But he had, Gerald, he had nothing to gain. And everything to lose. For principles? Like, god damn, man. Like, this is the same guy that you said was a legend for holding up your championship rival so that you could be within striking distance at the end of Abu Dhabi. And you wouldn't give him one fucking constructor's point. One. I, I don't, it just... Gerald, it doesn't make sense. Maybe, maybe, it, he, it just, maybe he could have gotten those points if he wasn't almost four seconds behind him. Gerald, there's so many other circumstances that influence the, the merit of why Checo didn't have the pace. Like, I just don't even go there. Like, he had a great weekend. And he was, qualifying pace-wise, he was way closer to Max. I mean, if Max was going to let him by, he practically could have pulled over and had a cappuccino as far as Perez was oh, behind. Dear. The car might have gone into anti-stall if he slowed up enough to let Perez pass him. Graham, let's be honest. There's a little inconsistency here, no? Because if I recall correctly, last weekend, I think we were calling for Verstappen to be his true self and, and play the role of the villain. And now he emulates it perfectly. That and now you're off the bandwagon. Different. It is different when it's your teammate, man. It's totally different. We were talking about his his disposition to the media. And I would even extend that to how he treats rival drivers. I love all that. Lean into it. Dude, when it's your teammate who is not acting out, it's one It's one thing if your teammate is Ocon, right? What, who, what who is the Ocon? You, what has Ocon done? Give, all right. All right it's, one on, thing we'll, if it's one thing if your teammate is giving you reasons. What has Checo done to give him a reason to not trust him? What has he done? Again, you, it's a it's a different principle base. There's no there's no issue of trust or things he done or hasn't done. He wasn't fast God. enough. He doesn't get the spot. And that's and that's being generous to Perez and not indulging in what could be even more un, un unsavory behavior and past behavior by Checo. You want a reason? Unsportsmanlike conduct. That's the reason. You got a two-point penalty. Boom. Max threw the flag. Two-point penalty. Perez, good luck in Abu Dhabi. On principle, I don't think that safety car should have ever been a safety car. I think it should have been a virtual safety car. And Max should have continued to get his shitty outcomes for his race for his shitty move on Hamilton in the first couple laps in the back of the pack where he deserved. The only reason he was up there is because the fucking stewards couldn't put the car in neutral and push the damn thing onto a safety road. So it's not like Max was up with Checo on merit either. Like, he didn't deserve to be there. He got good fortune. The race put him up there. It's not like he clawed his way back to, through the field on pure pace and got up beside Checo. He was he was a, he was a mile behind him the whole race on merit because of a mistake that he made and he got penalized for. And then he got good fortune to get his ass drug up to the race, got a good fortune to get on a better tire strategy, and still wouldn't fucking yield the place. He didn't earn his spot in that race. He fucking wow. stumbled into it, and then he wouldn't let it go, and I'm not okay with it. I guess it just coincidentally happened to be faster than Perez. Yeah, that's weird. That's he weird. was not faster than Perez in the aggregate of that race. Single lap, sure. 
but he did not perform as consistently as Perez throughout that weekend. He made a mistake. He got penalized for it, and then he got bailed out through the timing of safety cars, and he wouldn't yield to his teammate when he had nothing else to gain. I think that's absolutely inexcusable. Inexcusable. He's done. I'm done. I'm I'm tired. I'm a little buzzed. I've been drinking my bourbon <laughs> a little bit more quickly. So I gotta catch up. I'm a little bit out of breath. Uh, I got a body armor here. I'm gonna chug that. I don't know. I will have to say though, let's assume that that Checo was unsportsmanlike in Monaco, crashed in qualifying. I find it very rich for him to come on the radio with some sort of high and mighty claim. You know, giving him like the dad guilt, like, wow, I guess he's shown who he is. You know, you got to get your own house in order before you go knocking on other people's doors. That's all I'm going to say. I just think it's really unfair to even introduce this Monaco crash gate thing into the, like, there's no evidence. It's completely circumstantial. Like, I, I, oh, so this is just Dutch media fake news? It's a little Trumpian. I'm going to be honest. You're calling fake news here? It's a little, it's a little Trumpian of a theory. It is. There's not. It's, 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 it's pulled out of thin air, inconvenience to serve a narrative of a slight paranoia that a certain individual has, and everybody's just running with it. There's, if there were data or telemetry or circumstantial evidence, then sure. Like, but there, we can talk but about there it. is telemetry, and there is telemetry data showing a sooner and more intense application of the throttle going into that turn where he crashed. So there is telemetry data showing it. And I think we'll see whether or not it plays out and cause and effect convenient. Yes. I'm sure you you can't be inside of his head. Okay. Like that's misleading. It's like, sure. Anybody that makes a a mistake that causes them to spin is going to show an abnormality in their application of the throttle. But you, 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 that, that says nothing about the intentionality of it. Absolutely nothing. So Checo just gets a pass, and 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 you're just going to still come down hard on Charles that. Charles Leclerc sure as fuck got a pass for the three years straight at Monaco before that where he did junk like that. Nobody talked like that at all. Nobody. Nobody within Ferrari, no competing teams. Everybody was like, oh, man, I wish this didn't happen in Monaco because it's so inconvenient for qualifying. Nobody accused Charles Leclerc of hitting the wall intentionally that year that he ended up with the I be- I believe the rumor is that Perez admitted it. So let's let's just when? not let's just not rush to conclusions. Let's when? see these when I, he got drunk at his after party. Is that I, the rumor? Is I that mean, what you dug up on Reddit? Might have been one you, of several indiscretions that evening, it seems. I'm just not I'm just not here to adorn sainthood to Perez just because he's a slower driver and fulfilled his good duty as a number two. You know? You're you're speaking in extremes and you're relying on highly circumstantial, arguably paranoid things. And I just think that's a tougher position to be in. We've beat this horse dead. I'm tired. I'm a little mad at you. <laughs> <laughs> I feel like we need to move on. <laughs> oh, no, that was fun. Um, no, in all honesty. No, that was a lot of fun. I think, um, yeah, look, it's not great for Verstappen. Uh, he had nothing to lose. If you hold those principles, I fully agree with those. So be it. But I do think there is a moment where you have to weigh the, you know, the pros and cons and realize you're losing nothing and your teammate is gaining something. And more so if you're not going to do it for Perez, 
then do it for the team that's given you a car exactly. to win two championships in a row. And as a yes. predominantly marketing organization, being able to say you won constructors and won two in the drivers for the first time ever is marketing gold. And I think Verstappen just misses the big picture on that. His aperture does not extend beyond the track. Um, and unfortunately, a- it does for others and has to for the others like Marco and and Horner. And so now they kind of have to pick up the pieces and hope that Checo can finish in front of Leclerc uh, next weekend. You got to learn to be a franchise quarterback. And I just think he, I'm not I'm not I'm not trying to write him off in an absolute sense. I think he absolutely could get there, but I'm uninterested in defending him through the bumps and valleys that it may take for him to get there. And so, for these reasons, I'm out. If you don't love him at his worst, Graham, you don't deserve him at his best. But he's not my, he's not my fucking child. <laughs> like, what? He's not, he's not my offspring. <laughs> he hasn't earned my loyalty. Like, come on. I'm disappointed in you, Graham. That's what I'm disappointed in. So, I expect you, what, to have a, a Mercedes hat next weekend or what? Oh, fuck off. You gearing no. up? No, I'm still riding on Team Red Bull. Forever. I'm not moving away from the team. I just am not going to defend Max's behavior at all. So I guess the better question is, uh, who's going to be the number two after Checo leaves? Because his time is short here. (sighs) Dude, I don't know. This could lead to a dicey next year. Uh, And this is one of those things like I I referenced the Ricardo for Stappen crash. And then everything that kind of unraveled after that. These things can be hard to recover from. And I mean, Rosberg, Hamilton had moments like this. They never bounced back from. I mean, we'll see. I, I think Christian Horner certainly has experience with poor driver dynamics and managing them. So maybe he'll be able to overcome this one. But um, yeah, it doesn't look good. Um, I don't know who it's going to be. I mean, maybe Nick DeVries will shine at Alpha Tower and I'll be able to promote him. I, I Maybe it'll be Albon. I, I don't know. Uh, I think they're probably the two leading candidates. Maybe Sonoda. I mean, he's, you know, he's not totally irrelevant. Yeah, okay, he's pretty irrelevant. But <laughs> It's been pretty poor this year. Yeah. 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 I think it's definitely between the other two, especially when you go back and watch highlights of like 2019, 2020. You're like, damn, Albon was like in the front in a lot of races. And, you know, it seemed like they came down awfully hard on him because of his bad qualifying. But that is neither here nor there. We'll get to some Verstappen Hamilton controversy in a moment, but let's briefly talk Ferrari. Their weekend ended far better than it started. Um, qualifying was ugly again with the Leclerc tire strategy bumbling uh, and him starting 10th in the sprint. Uh, but ultimately they moved up in the pack and but they had to contend with Mercedes finishing one, two while they finished three, four. Ferrari now just 19 points ahead of Mercedes. Mercedes cut 21 points out of the Constructors' Championship. Uh, So really coming down, and and basically Sainz has fallen off uh, the map in terms of the battle for for fourth place. Uh, First, let's talk similar situation. You had Leclerc, more so than, than Perez, basically begging to have Sainz's position, but Sainz was on pace for a podium, third place. Did you think that that was the same situation as as Red Bull? Did Ferrari make the right decision not switching places? Uh, yeah, I, look, Sainz has a podium on. Uh, like, to me, it's completely different. You know, the positioning of the teams is more consequential within the race order. 
Uh, and so, yeah, it's unquestionable for me. Signs has earned his position where he is in the race. Um, and Leclerc, it's not like Leclerc was just like eating up his diffuser. Like he was two seconds off of him. Like I, you know, so no, I think it was completely different. And I think, in, I think signs was entitled to what his, his grid position. And, uh, I think they made the right call. Uh, unusual for Ferrari, but I think they made the right call. Well, I'll have to say, I'm not surprised a man of no principle, Having their perspectives just flapping in the breeze like a weather I, no, vane in a hurricane. Having a, it's called having a nuanced viewpoint. And my mm. nuance, I think I made it very clear what it was based on. Mm. Nuance. That's convenient. Uh, all right. Let's move on to Mercedes. God. I got some Popeyes on the way right now. And in five <laughs> minutes, going to come to my door. I'm going to go grab it. I'm going to put you on fucking mute. I'm going to sit here and eat the sandwich and not have to respond. Deal. Um All right, let's turn to Mercedes. Storybook weekend for Mercedes. After a surprising uh, performance in Mexico, they followed it up now with a 1-2 in the second-to-last race in the season. Really a near-perfect ending for the team. Mercedes maintaining its record of wins in every season going back until, you know, who the fuck knows when. And then uh, (laughs) Russell getting his first win of his career. However, Hamilton now just has one race remaining to maintain his own record of wins in every season of his career. Looks unlikely. What's your reaction to the team progress, the driver performance of the weekend? Does it seem like the Mercedes gains are no longer just track specific and are actually enduring? To me, that I, I think the gains are not track specific. I mean, neither you or I thought they were going to have a strong weekend in Brazil. And they did. And so I, I don't know that I would necessarily call Hamilton's chances in Abu Dhabi unlikely. Um, if anything, Abu Dhabi fits the traditional strengths of their car better than Brazil does. So if they've made absolute gains on a relative basis, then I actually like their chances in Abu Dhabi. And um, yeah, without the misfortune in qualifying, I think, you know, for me, Hamilton Russell was all about just who, who had track position, right? It was less about who had better race pace than the other. So credit to George because he got track position. He earned his track position, and albeit you know with his qualifying F up, and he kept it. Um, but no, I don't think it's entirely unlikely that that Lewis wins in Abu Dhabi. I I think the story of the relative Red Bull lack of performance is actually more a story of Mercedes kind of sneakily into the season after the championship's already over, like leaps and bounds up the order. Um, it appears, and you know it's. That car has been super unpredictable, so I hesitate to say this, but like, it appears that that car is on par in certain environments. Um, so credit to them. I mean, I've been the one from you know sounding the alarm bells that they're going to just throw out their car design in the off season and move away from the side pods and kind of. I think that's a pretty tough position to defend at this point, given where they're at. Um, sure, Red Bull maybe had a slightly off weekend, but. I mean, Mercedes certainly put Ferrari in the rearview mirror, um, and that's impressive. So credit to them. To your point on car design, I do. I think you're right. I think at this point they are going to be far more committed to the design. And I, I had always thought it was an intriguing design, fighter jet inspired. Why couldn't it work? And so I think if they've gotten some of the aero figured out, it seemed like the car was a little draggy. If they get that sorted out, you have to think they they stick with this going forward, which I think is tremendous for the sport to see s- 
such a divergence in design philosophies be maintained and yet a closing of the the performance gap. So I think it spells for a, a, a lot of excitement for the upcoming season. Dude, you have such a hard on for that fighter jet thing. Oh yeah, dude. I was all <laughs> in. Unbelievable. I, I was shocked when it didn't work in the beginning, but you know, the the more innovative the design, the the harder it is to to calibrate. So look, look, man, they go into the offseason with all this momentum. They got the we've said it many times, the best driver lineup on the grid. Credit, they've got a healthy driver dynamic as well, amongst the most healthy on the grid. And so I think it's fair to say at this point that they're they may be even more than coming. They maybe have arrived. They're already um, here. Yeah. Just like the yeah. aliens. But also, Toto had to dial into the post-race driver's audio from his cell phone because he wasn't even there. I'm just like, I mean, I guess him and Bonato are basically just totally checked out off doing, you know, pushing paper for the rest of the season, uh, which is a little bit of a disgrace. But, you know, we'll put that aside. Yeah, a little sad not to be there for the moment, but I'm sure he missed it just as much as uh, as the rest of the team. So let's talk the real controversy. Start of the race, or I guess the restart. Going down the home stretch, going into the Senna S, Max looks to make a pass along the outside of Hamilton, gets alongside of him, maybe even past him at the corner, Going into the the turn two right-hander, they make contact. Max ultimately gets the five-second penalty, a couple of points on his license, predominantly, but not entirely at fault. What was your take on the, the impact? Who do you think was at fault? And did you agree with the, the stewards' decision? When I saw it live, I thought Hamilton should get a five-second penalty. When I saw the first replay, I thought that it was bang, bang, and it was should be a driving incident. And then I saw the second one, I was like, okay, maybe that was Max's fault. It it was close. Um, I don't think it was egregious for either party. It's one of those turns where Max in, earned himself space after he got his wheels ahead very clearly going into turn one. And then Hamilton had a better exit out of one into two, got his tires back ahead, I don't know that he was so far ahead that Max hadn't earned some space. Um, and I don't think that Max was carrying so much pace into that second turn or he wasn't going to be able to make an exit to give Hamilton space. I think he was in control of the car, it appeared. So um, I I think it's one of those things where it on the eye test, it appears that Max deserves space. As the rule is written, based on relative car position at the entry of a turn, I think that they decided the outcome of the five-second bill for Max in as consistent and fair of a manner as they could have. So it, it's one for me that I don't know that it's particularly controversial, just maybe purely because of the fact that it was really close. Um, and I don't think it was egregious for me, the driver. I don't know. What do you think? You've changed, Graham. Wow. This weekend really changed you. I don't know how we're going to continue. We might have our own team. A, we might have our own team I, team controversy. Uh, I don't. I, I. I. Well, you're going to have a hard time convincing me that Lewis did something egregious there. But I, please, I mean, no. I, I think ultimately racing incident. I don't think it should be in a penalty. Look, I think you saw several other drivers be able to make that corner side by side. 
You've seen Max be able to race other drivers cleanly, like Russell throughout the sprint. You've seen Hamilton be able to race several other drivers, most notably Leclerc and Silverstone, right? Like both of them know how to race cleanly. It seems like whenever they come together, neither one of them is willing to budge. I agree with you. A lot of their determination was he was out of control and people have said, oh, look how wide he went after the contact. I don't think you can judge the line after contact of whether or not somebody was going to make the corner. So I think the thing that does it for me is that the re- the the screenshot of when they actually make contact, half of Max's car is, you know, on the on the rumble strip. Very minimal space given by Hamilton. I think Hamilton squeezed the line coming out of turn one to to try to force the issue, which Max didn't budge, and then Hamilton didn't waver at all going into turn two. And so I, I think equally it was on both of them. I think Max came out the worst, which having to go in for a new front wing was penalty enough. And admittedly, that probably caused Hamilton not to get his win of the season. So I, I think they both got their penalty of sorts, and I think the penalty was a bit a bit unnecessary. Um, but I, I can't say one driver was more at fault in that one than than the other. So I agree with you. I don't think it was all that controversial. Your chicken sandwich. Pause. Here? Yeah, let me right, let me I run downstairs real quick. Yeah, do I'll be right back. What's up, Popeye? So look, this is big news. I'm gonna ignore the fact we just we're coming back from a break. I'm gonna ignore the fact that Popeyes didn't honor did not honor my request for no pickles. But when I went downstairs to pick up the sandwich, I discovered the Eagles are losing, which is great news. Are they tonight's really tonight's really look it up. Nice. Yeah. <laughs> anyway, what you know I pickles? Mean, what kind of animal are you? Two weeks ago. There was a moment where we thought it was possible that the Eagles would never lose, the Phillies would win the World Series, and the Union would win the MLS Cup. And that was a really bad place to be. But we seem to have reached a bit more of a realistic cruising altitude of sadness for Philly sports, which is great. Return to normalcy. Cut. Next topic. (laughs) All right. And, however, people who do sort of lean so heavily on the FIA. I think it's so ironic given as much scrutiny as they get. Like, well, it was the it was the stewards' decision. Well, yeah, it was also the stewards' decision to let the Williams car through getting unlapped at the safety car and not let Sonoda through. So basically they committed the same grave sin that they did in Abu Dhabi, but totally unintentionally, just out of like pure lapse in judgment. I remember thinking that was weird on the broadcast. I never saw an explanation. Was that the FIA, the reason why Sonoda didn't go through? Or was that a Sonoda Well, problem? if you saw the, the graphic on the screen, it said cars, what, 6 and 23 are allowed to go through. Made no mention of Sonoda. So Sonoda's just like stuck in the middle of the pack and I don't think ever got word that he's like allowed to unlap himself. So look, I just, I don't know that we can put a whole lot of credibility still in the stewards or the FIA. And so that's where healthy, fruitful debate, I think, is the way that we we get to the the truth rather than appealing to the, the steward's authority in all cases. Healthy, fruitful debate fueled by paranoia and conspiracy. 
<laughs> I'm with you. Well, yeah, obviously. What else are conversations based on? <laughs> All right, let's let's move on to a, a battle that actually has some some potential to change here, or at least did at the start of the weekend. Let's move to Alpine, fourth in constructors at the moment, and increasingly so. Roller coaster weekend from them, finishing terribly in the sprint race after self-inflicted damage to climbing back in the race uh, to to basically having now picking up 19 points ahead of McLaren um, and Ocon sitting just five points ahead of Alonso in the driver's championship, which is wild to think given the fact that Alonso's DNF'd in like 20% of the races this year. Um, first and foremost, I think we've talked about our thoughts on the, the Alonso and Ocon crash. Um, later in the race, however, Similar situation at the restart. Ocon was getting team orders to let Alonzo through, which he initially rejected, saying he wanted things to sort themselves out first. He needed to get by Vettel with the tires that he had before letting Alonzo through. Please spew your your Ocon hate uh, based on your reaction to to that team radio. I mean, look no further than just like the behavior of his race engineer who like over and over again was like, but again, we're agreeing to not fight Alonzo, right? Confirm that you're not going to fight Alonzo. Please confirm that you're not going to fight Alonzo. Like they don't trust him at all. Like they don't trust him at all, Um, which I thought was pretty telling. So yeah, I mean, I thought he was being a little bit petty. Um Team orders are team orders. And again, I just think he's a guy that hasn't really earned the right to be expectant that he gets deferential treatment in those types of situations. So, yeah. It's becoming clear and clear that you're just a, you're a, you're the guy who just follows the man, listens to the protocol. And I'm about the drivers who let him race. Let Ocon fight him on track. Let him battle it out. Not just sit here with all this team orders bullshit. Um, I... It depends on the circumstances, man. Um, for instance, Russell in first, Hamilton in second. I think Mercedes made the perfect call. Be respectful. Race. I I, I love that. I don't think they should be calling team orders to have, you know, preserve a one-two. Um, let the drivers be drivers. So it depends. I don't think it's fair to characterize me as a anti-meritocratic, pure team orders, team sport junkie no i just, just an appeal much, to the authority i just very much yield to the Ocon. authoritarians i don't i don't like people i don't like it when drivers don't have a good calibrated sense in the car for what is fair relative to their teammate and what is not and look and i think the whole race engineer situation was largely driven by what happened in the sprint race which again, I think we both agreed was largely more on Alonzo. I think Ocon was legitimate in his assessment to, and looking at the broader picture and saying, it's not that he didn't say he's going to let o- uh, Alonzo by, but there's certain things that need to happen first. And I think he was right to, to stand his ground in that and say, no, I need to make up these particular places because of my position and the pace that we have and the tires that we're on. And then I will. But 
So I, I didn't see any fault with Ocon's handling of that. I thought that was actually really healthy of him assessing his situation, doing what was best for him, but then also still yielding to to team order. So I you're think, making good. I think, you're making good points. I'm never going to agree with you because I just don't like Ocon. So, but I I fully understand. This is that th- those points weren't for you, Graham. That was just for me to recapture any level of unlevel of uh, credibility that I've lost with the audience after my staunch defense of Max Verstappen. You're on record. Congratulations. <laughs> Um, all right, well, let's move to McLaren for the moment. Team Norris, I'm sorry, Team Norris. <clears throat> they looked like they had a chance to close the gap on on Alpine after their self-destruction in the sprint. But unfortunately, uh, Team Norris and was not to be outdone, and they went for their own double DNF on the weekend. Ricardo causing a crash with Magnussen, causing him to spin and ultimately then take himself out, which... I mean, could there be any more fitting end to that? Perfect karma. And then unfortunately for uh, team, the captain of Team Norris, uh, Norris himself, to DNF later in the race due to electrical issues. Ricardo gets a three-place grid penalty for his exploits. Uh, but in the Ricardo crash, any more evidence required by that Ricardo should not be in F1 next year? Dude, he is going out with one hell of a bang. Between the <laughs> between the Sonoda incident last week, which was like textbook, almost the exact same thing he did to Magnuson. No space, goes up the inside, hits the back tire, sends for a spin. The only the only solace in that whole thing was exactly what you just said, which is he got payback immediately because he deserved it. He didn't deserve to finish that race. Um, drove me up the wall the week two weeks before when he got away with it and then got points out of that thing, even with a ten second penalty. So. Um, yeah, I mean, it's just like, what are you doing, man? Like, it's like he's totally lost his grip on racecraft, honestly. Uh, it's very uncharacteristic of him, but yeah, not, not finishing on a high note. Well, and it's funny because it almost ended totally differently as Magnuson started to spin. The next closest driver was Schumacher. So he almost took out both Haases, but fortunately, whether accidentally or intentionally, Magnuson avoided his teammate and instead took out uh, his perpetrator. So, uh, yeah, justice was, justice was served in, in that scenario. And yeah, I, two races in a row at this point, it's just egregious and he's lost all touch and yeah, he, he deserves to be sitting on the sideline, hopefully not as a Red Bull reserve driver, like some rumors are, are circulating. So wouldn't that just be a toxic, you know, love triangle between Ricardo Verstappen and Perez. Hey man, he's going to find himself in the Poconos real soon on that NASCAR race circuit. I can't wait. <laughs> right where he belongs. I want to go, I'm going to pack a, you know, one thing good about Philly, close to the Poconos. I got no other reason to be there. Pack my own cooler. I'll go cheer on Danny Rick. I'll make you that promise right now. You with your Southern accent talking about your packed cooler and going to the Poconos is like the, the most quintessential NASCAR Poconos sounding. Poconos are in the middle of Pennsylvania, man. It's not... South. I know, but you still got the Southern twang. You're bringing up the NASCAR. You're you're getting into don't, it. Don't the NASCAR race experience. Don't knock the NASCAR race experience. I mean, I would have walked it. Look, I just paid two hundred fifty dollars to have the people shit in my mouth in 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 Monza. So I would much rather go to a race where I could bring my own cooler and not have to pay Mickey Mouse fucking tokens for drinks and have a nice day. Poconos sound pretty fucking great to me. <laughs> Jeez. <laughs> uh. All right. Well, with that, uh, it pretty much is the fate is pretty much sealed for Team Norris this season, right? I mean, there's no way they're they're clawing back after after that performance. So 
shockingly finished uh, finished probably fifth in constructors after a team with a driver who DNF'd more time than their other drivers actually made it to Q3. So um, pretty to shocking. That, to that, we say, see you at preseason testing, boys. <laughs> <laughs> All right, well, let's run through the end of this grid because there are a couple of interesting battles shaping up neck and neck going into the final race of the season. You have the battle between Alfa Romeo and Aston Martin. Alfa Romeo just five points ahead on Aston after Botas finished ninth ahead of Stroll, picking up another point. And really a a recovery drive weekend for Botas. Meanwhile, Aston Martin... uh, Vettel had a, a decent looking weekend overall, uh, but Stroll getting a 10 second penalty for nearly driving Vettel off the road, picking up his eighth of 12 penalty points and really the deserving teammate of Alonso next season. So a lot to look forward to in that one. But between these guys, I don't know if any of them are in a position to to pick up five points, honestly. I mean, they're going to have to finish pretty high up in the grid. So you suspect any change in order between those two teams? No, that's that's one of those battles that comes down to who wants to lose it more. <laughs> you know, like it's not going to be about one of those teams winning it. It's going to be about one of those teams losing it. Um, it's not going to rain in Abu Dhabi. It's probably not going to be a race where, to your point, one of those cars gets super high up the grid. So, yeah, I'd imagine the status quo will be the status quo. Well, and on the one uh, on the next battle between Haas and AlphaTauri, a bit more potential just be given the margin. Uh, Haas is now just two points clear of AlphaTauri after Magnussen picked up his one point in the sprint race. Meanwhile, both teams finished entirely out of the points this weekend. Uh, we talked a lot about Magnussen and his well-deserved pole performance, but Matt Schumacher in the hot seat, still no word on whether or not he has a seat next season. Good performance in the sprint race, despite qualifying 20th and really sort of held court in the race itself. What did you think of Schumacher's performance on the weekend as a whole? What did the contrast to Magnuson's pole performance mean for his chances next season? And, and what are the odds you give him keeping the seat over Hulkenberg? Man, I think it's 50-50. I really do. I think it's that close. I think it's I think he's done just enough to earn the seat, but I also wouldn't blame Gunther if he cut him. I personally think it's the wrong decision because I'm not We've said this before, I don't think Hulkenberg is a super inspiring alternative. Um but if Gunther wants stability, then it, it you know, it depends what he values as a as a um as a principle, and he may genuinely, if he, if, if he genuinely values consistency, i.e. people that aren't going to cost him crash money, uh, then yeah, I can see why he would tilt towards Hulkenberg. So I think mixed right on the line, man. I think it's 50-50. Um, it really could come down to the last race. It could be one of those things. Um, uh, yeah, I, I wasn't, I think some of the fact that he was 20th in qualifying was a little bit circumstantial, so I don't put all the fault at his feet for that, but Overall, I mean, I thought he was pretty consistent throughout the weekend. He had a great sprint race and kind of shopped the board a little bit kind of under the radar. So um, I think this weekend did more to help him than it did to hurt him is how I would characterize it. Yeah, I I think that's fair. I think, uh, yeah, the qualifying doesn't look good. He's struggled a lot of times in qualifying, but 
he's cleaned up the race performances. I think this one went a long way to showing his racing ability. I mean, to climb that much in a sprint race deserves some praise. So he certainly helped his case. I'm certainly in the Schumacher camp as well. I just think there's more intrigue in terms of him as the potential development and where he could go, young driver. But look, the case for Haas is no young development driver is going to stick around anyway. It's not a destination. So why are you spending your resources developing a driver when you could get a proven commodity who's not going to burn budget cap on crashes and you could spend that on development? So look, I get it. I also think though, given where they're at with the budget and not being so cap constrained going into next season, I also think help Schumacher's case as well, if that's been the biggest knock against him. So yeah, I agree with you. It's it's 50-50. I think we're both in in mixed camp, but look, wouldn't wouldn't be shocked at all if if they go towards towards Hulk. Yeah, I just think Hulk is an overall detraction from the driver dynamic of the of the personalities on the grid. You know, I think he just kind of had his shot. I don't know that he really deserves another one. Um it's not cuz he's bad. I just think he's he's lukewarm too. Yeah, exactly. But he, he's lukewarm, but like has less upside because he's not as young. And so it's just like, well, I don't know why he's what it is. That. Yeah. Yeah. And then on the AlphaTari side, uh, Gasly with his 10 of 12 points, there was some talk about whether or not Gasly would try to sort of torpedo this weekend and accumulate his last two points so he could sit out on, on Abu Dhabi I wish and not would've. sacrifice and not sacrifice his, his season next year with, with Alpine, but I think he attempted to. I mean, he got a warning for uh, going slow on the reconnaissance lap. He got a penalty for speeding in the pit lane, but unlike every other instance this season, he received no points on his license for speeding in the pit lane and got no points or real penalty for the slow lap uh, either. And it's almost like the FIA was trying to keep him from accumulating the points to potentially take that penalty at the end of the season. If I was Gasly, I would have thrown in some track limits there just to be safe. I mean, he might as well have binded into a car in front of him. Who knows? There was there was some other opportunity. So I'm thinking he just didn't try hard enough. But uh, what was your take? You think the FIA was uh, attempting to to keep Gasly from gaming the system here? Or or was they just maybe feeling a little bad for how how hard they came down on him previously and they were being a little bit more lenient? Yeah, I don't really know. I'll be honest with you. I didn't really follow Gasly at all. <laughs> I'm just like, I'm kind of departed from him as an Alpha Tower driver, just ready for him to be an agent of chaos at Alpine. But um, no, I, I don't think that the FIA was, I, I don't think that they were overthinking that one. I think that they're probably just trying to, to, to not get noticed in their rulings on Gasly because he's completely irrelevant on the grid right now. And they're not trying to bring attention to themselves unnecessarily. So. Well, I'm going to believe they did. However, the only <laughs> Of course. <laughs> as I've been as I've been apt yeah. to uh to believe this conspiracies this week, the only reason I don't think they were is because again, they couldn't even get the whole unlapping Sonoda thing right. So, I, I think they're just trying to keep pace with the race and doing something that sophisticated might be a little bit beyond their their reach. So, um all right, let's bring it home with Williams. Really nothing to cover here. As we recap the standings, I think it is just worth reminding everyone that Latifi is currently tied. That's correct. Tied for last place with the one race driver, Nick DeVries. So uh, 
Latifi doesn't even have last place fully locked up. Enjoy being the spokesman for Lunchables next year. <laughs> well, they got those cool new like dinosaur Lunchables, right? So you make it what you want. So you know, he's on, he's on the he's a man on the cutting edge. Pepperoni boy returns to his roots. I'm sure he's excited. <laughs> All right, let's bring it home. We got Abu Dhabi final race of this exciting season. Track overview, three and a half miles, just under. You got 16 corners. It's a counterclockwise track. And given elevation has been all the rage over the last couple of weekends, I figured I'd check the check the numbers. What do you think the elevation of, of Yas Marina is? Yeah. Three feet bo- above sea level? <laughs> Basically, yeah. The, the first <laughs> yeah, number I looked at was... What is that? It's on I the just water. Bo- <laughs> As, you, as you're likely to believe, I just went with the first number that I saw. The first source I, I took as gospel. It said five feet. So, uh, <laughs> it's a like marina. A 30, <laughs> there's like 30 feet elevation change throughout the whole track. So sea level it is. Uh, <laughs> interestingly, as a reminder, they, they had... So all that to say, I don't know that... It, Mercedes is going to have their high elevation advantage that they have maybe the pri- the previous two weekends. I'm not taking you to fucking trivia night, that's for sure. <laughs> God. <laughs> uh, interestingly, with the Abu Dhabi track at Yas Marina, they did undergo some changes in 2021. They cut a couple of corners uh, early in the track leading into the first high-speed straight, and they also opened up some of the corners in the slow-speed section. Sector 1 has a tight... Uh, first corner before a, a sweeping three-turn complex heading into the the first high-speed straight. Sector two is basically just two long straights separated by a, a tight left-right corner. Uh, really good portion of the track for passing. You have that sort of back-and-forth dynamic where somebody with DRS on the first turn on the first straight passes and gets retaken on the other one. So, uh, Expect that to be the 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 area for the most passing. And typically, however, this track end of the calendar usually doesn't play a huge part in the drivers or constructors championship. Super wide track, making it good for battling and lots of different attack angles on those corners after the high speed straights. Looking at past races, 2021, uh, you know, as far as I can remember, nothing really that exciting happened uh at that race so i think we can probably skip that one uh 2022 was equally as uneventful the no- most notable thing there was uh pietro fedipaldi driving for grosjean after uh, after the bahrain incident where his he narrowly survived due to the the fire incident basically started verstappen botas hamilton ended the same way pretty uh pretty boring race however 2019 actually had a lot of interesting wheel-to-wheel battles up and down the grid, so hopefully we have a similar dynamic um, this season as well. Wait, did you just say there was no action in Abu Dhabi at 2022? 2021, yes, that was in jest. Okay, sorry. I, I I, I didn't pick up the sarcasm. I apologize. Yes, that was the ending race between Hamilton, Verstappen, the Minister of Defense, for which you still pledge your undying loyalty to. Yes, it was a a very exciting race. No, No rebuttal? No, no, I just... It's hurtful at this point. 
<laughs> it's not funny. It's just hurtful. Oh, it's unnecessary. Uh, well, we're getting to the end of the show here. You can nurse your wounds here momentarily. Uh, let's talk team assessment. We have clearly done a shit job of predicting high performers <laughs> damn near <laughs> any any weekend this season, certainly in the second half. Um, what's your take? Who do you expect to do well at this track this weekend? What's your wild prediction? Let me dig into my what have you done for me lately, who's hot now hat, and, <laughs> p- and pick out a Hamilton victory. <laughs> that's, that's what I'm going to predict. Uh, all right, I'm going to say that uh, that the, that the cartel comes after Max, disables his engine, he doesn't finish the race, uh, Checo two, uh, and then let's say Russell comes together with somebody, maybe a Ferrari takes him out, takes Leclerc out, so they're out. Signs, I don't know, something else happens to him, and I'm going to put Alonso on the podium. Hamilton Perez Alonso. Nice. And we end the year uh, in total chaos, abject chaos. And who does Ricardo crash into this race? Oh man. Uh, ooh, what would be poetic? Uh, maybe his teammate. <laughs> I think. I think he might take out Norris. <laughs> that would be the best possible way for him to finish. It's a lot of career. wishful thinking, assuming he's going to qualify anywhere close to Norris. That's true. <laughs> I mean, uh, maybe Norris will have another electrical issue. Electrical issue. Maybe a little, uh, a little sad irony is he'll take out Vettel, and and they can both end both of their oh. their careers from the from the pit lane, watching the rest of the race. I'd love, I'd love a Vettel points finish for his final race. That would be great. Yeah. Everybody would everybody would like that. Agreed. Agreed. Well, look, I think high speed track, you're you're Mr. Recency. I'm Mr. Reversion to the mean. So high speed track. I'm gonna go Red Bull this weekend. And Ferrari should benefit from the slow speed sector three. Uh and Mercedes has no elevation advantage. So I'm gonna put them back in in P3. Um so so we'll see. I'm going I'm going to kind of a standard standard finish. All right. Sounds good. However, I would love to see. I hope your scenario plays out. I hope there's chaos up and down the grid. You want the cartel involved? <laughs> I why not? <laughs> Let's get the cartel in there and and I do still hope Ferrari or Mercedes beats Ferrari. I do too. Th- they took 21 points this weekend. Unfortunately, yeah, they had to get a 1-2 to do that. I just don't see that being the case again. They so need a DNF. Too little, too late. Yeah, they need they a need DNF. They need some DNFs, and they need a win. Yeah. It's it's not impossible, but it's unlikely. Yeah. Yeah. But time will tell. Last race of the season. It's been a beauty. It has. Let's hope it ends in in glorious fashion. I, I, I can't believe it took you this long into the season to hurt me emotionally, but here we are. So. Yeah, that is surprising. I would have expected I could have done it far sooner. <laughs> yeah. A little disappointed of you, to be honest. Well, and and uh, just like everyone else, we'll have to reevaluate our own our own driver lineup here, and uh, you know, see what see what next week brings, or next season brings. I more like. I'm looking forward to it. Um, I need to go downstairs and watch the Eagles lose because I hear my oh, roommate yelling "ball, ball, ball, ball," which means they probably just fumbled. So I'm very happy about Beautiful. it. Beautiful time to wrap <laughs> it up. Let's go enjoy the fruits of our labor. Always a pleasure, buddy. Likewise, peace. peace.